Hello and welcome to the 137th episode of The Sausage Factory. This is brought to you by Spawn.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Disc Jam by High Horse Entertainment. Jay! Hi. Who are Who are you, and what do you do? Uh, My name's Jay Mattis. I'm one half of High Horse Entertainment. It's just a team of two. Um, And I would say about I do about 90% engineering, 10% art. Uh, Tim Rapp is my other half, and uh, he does the other split. 90% art, about 10% engineering. Wow. That's quite impressive. Um, Only two of you making this amazing game. I'm not saying it because you're on the show. It is amazing, everyone. Really, it's just, and there's all sorts of things we're going to talk about, but not yet, not yet. We'll get there. The, the regular listeners will know that we're not going to talk about the main game until the second half. So you have to stick around because you need to know about Jay first and his background and what he's been doing and uh, that that sort of thing. So, in Jay, how did you make your start making yes. video games? And you can start as early as you like. Like when you were four uh, and you had a I, I Commodore will, I will actually, I will start at five. How's that? Five. How's okay, that? five. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, so I, I sort of always just liked anything with buttons, really, mm-hmm. is, is how it all started. Um, obviously, yeah. keyboards have the most buttons of they all do. things. They do. Um, and um, I was a, uh, a big video game player in my youth. Uh, and around, uh, we had, we had sort of this, uh, you know, 1980s era IBM compatible PC that had, you know, the two five and a quarter inch floppy drives, you boot up off, uh, DOS diskette, you know, all of that. Um, and, uh, we had one computer shop in town, um, and, uh, my parents had gotten me some video games that they had there, some PC games at the time, um, and uh, I really enjoyed them, and I wanted more of them. And, uh, you know, they sort of explained to me, well, like, that, that's it. That's all that was there uh, in the shop. And, um, and so, obviously, I pestered them, asking why and how could I get more. Um, you know, my dad sort of explained that computers are mostly used for business. Uh, when, know, was that, uh, when was this? When was this? This was uh, 1990, 91. Okay, okay. You know, ninety-one, ninety-two-ish, I guess. Would really, be the right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting response to say, "Oh yeah, maybe use a business, Rod." Yes, okay, right. I suppose that. <laughs> yeah, that's well, fine. you know, because yeah. because that was the point, though, is at the at the computer shop. You know, there's mostly business software. There yeah, weren't a lot of games yeah, in the show. Right, it, also, yeah. you know, we were in a small town, so it's like we weren't. That's right. Yeah. I'm sure in the in the larger cities there were many more games at the yes, time for PC. Yes, but yeah, speaking for um, myself, yeah, there was it was all it was Wing Commander then about to arrive, wasn't it? Really, but yeah, carry on. Well, yeah, you know, I guess that's true. I guess our, you know, but if you've got a sort of, was there Wing Commander on the sort of, on the, uh, I feel like that was a few years, like a few years later we got, you know, a 486. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that it was, was like when. was the 486 era when Wing Commander arrived and Doom arrived. Yeah, you know, I think that was the problem is we didn't, we didn't really upgrade until the 486 era. Right. And then that's when I started getting serious, you know. So we had the, we just okay. had the, the old CGA, oh, you know. Right. Okay. So what that, did you that do That sort of style thing. So, so you know, I was like, look, I want, I want more of this stuff. And, and uh, you know, the, the lead-in for, you know, there's mostly business software was all this sort of talk about, well, you know, most people are 
writing their own software for their business and stuff. And there's not that much commercial software, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, he, the back, back in those days, the, uh, those computers shipped with the, um, the basic a, uh, reference manual for basic, which was included on the DOS diskette. And, uh, he, he sort of jokingly dropped that giant binder. It was a binder, uh, on my lap and was sort of like, you know, have fun, go at it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously I was far too young to read through a reference manual and have any sort of concept as to what I was supposed to do. Um, but I, I legitimately was, was very interested. Um, and, um, so my mom actually uh, went to the bookstore and she ended up coming back with a book that was about uh, programming games with BASIC. Oh, right. um, and what was cool about it was that, again, even though I was too young to sort of read the book and comprehend it, um, it had sample programs in the book. And you could just copy the programs verbatim into the editor um, and then run them. Um, and so, I mean, and we're talking about like literally like a, like a – a letter guessing game, right? Like I'm thinking of a letter, you know, J. <laughs> no, later in the alphabet. So it's like hangman, like, but even like, more basic. Yeah, like yeah. basic, basic. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, but I was having a ball, and I loved the fact that I was typing them in, and I was writing them, and I was running them. Um, and as I would mess up, I would learn, you know, various bits about the syntax, and I would learn, uh, you know, it, it became clear as I was typing it in, which parts sort of did what, um, and so I would tinker with it after I had finished it, and, um, you know, I had a good time doing that, and then later with the 486, I just sort of kept kept learning about this stuff, um, so I'm, uh, I'm mostly self-taught in that way. Well, that's impressive, and there's also, when you hear about listings, I mean, I, I did that as a child, too. And uh, it's it's very much the earliest form of modding, I call it, where you you you'd write the program, realize that most of it was you know terribly written, like oh this is awful, and then like I could I could put that there, or I could put oh I, yeah. could, I could turn that into a B, yeah let's do that, and this is, and you start just messing with it, not realizing yeah. at the time that you, you're modding it, you're modifying it, like yeah right, I'm just exactly. I'm, turn, I'm making my own. And one, it used, and, to, it and, used to be about a car, the, the, now it's about a giant bee. Yay! The, <laughs> right. But, the, you know, the internet resources weren't there in the way that they are today. You know, So it's not like it's not like I could just go download some interesting things. It was the, the tinkering was, you know, your, your resource list. You're like, well, you know, I got I got time and no information. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's see what I can do. I still remember this um, day to, we're having a conversation with, I don't know why I remember this, but it's one thing I couldn't figure out was uh, collision detection. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that straightforward in basic actually <laughs> it's, 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 it's not straightforward anywhere at really. all at all collision detection yeah. is really yeah. you know oh yeah when this thing interacts with this thing okay oh yeah. god it's still not great it's really difficult to great. actually communicate that and I remember mm-hmm. sort of having this really nerdy conversation with another school kid saying so how do we do this <laughs> We, just, we we both together figured out how to how to. It's weird. I don't want to go. Don't bore everyone. Everyone, but it's really no. annoying. It's it's interesting though because I think a lot of people, especially today, right? Because everything is so uh, modern and so built on so many layers of abstraction at this point. Yeah. That I, I think people come to games and game development with a lot of with actually a lot of baggage and assumptions about you know the fact that these things like must just exist, they right? Don't. Like there must just be some like do these things collide like. <laughs> that must be so simple. It's not. Right? It's one of the and, most... <laughs> and even even in modern packages like Unity, like, sure, you can, like, attach colliders to things and, yeah. you know, whatever. But, like, 
you still have to understand to be a good game dev. You still have to understand like how it's doing that and the performance implications and the different ways you could do it. And it's still not easy. There's still no one great solution and for all that this was stuff. The one and thing it's, that almost, it's super complicated. I'm almost bounced off. Like I can't do this. It's just too hard. yeah it's like oh this isn't worth it yeah but no we persevered because it's like well all these games (laughs) loads and loads of games like our favorite games we were running on zx spectrums probably appreciate that Mm -hmm. because they're 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 the the, the standard machine back in the uk at the time and like how do they do this (laughs) i mean yes that most of those games were in an assembly that's an aside Mm -hmm. but even still it's like even the basic games like how are they doing that and we would yeah. pour over the code. To un- it's really weird. <laughs> they would use it, data it um, clusters. To do it. It's like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, know, it's just really strange. Yeah. You're like, what does this section even do? And yeah, why? what's this for? And no explanation. No remark. Of course. Yeah, of course. Never, never. Because yeah, that's that's precious memory. Why would you put remark yeah. in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you started uh, really early then uh, writing. Yeah, so I so so I did that, and then you know to fast forward, you know I went to school, I did computer science, um, and um, I actually I hadn't intended to do games development. You know I, I did a lot of game dev growing up. Um, that was what was interesting to me, and I think a lot of hobbyist engineers can commiserate with that. Is like you know what are you going to make? You're not going to make, you know, Excel 2.0. That's not interesting. You know, that's not fun, but games are fun. So you make games. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so I did a bunch of that and, and I was particularly interested, you know, in, in graphics and, in um, just, you know, seeing what you could do in real time. Right. And, And I think part of that was a, was, was the age in which I grew up was that, you know, all of that was advancing so quickly every year. You could do things in real time you couldn't do the year before. Uh, it was just so exciting. And so um, I was very interested in that, but wasn't really planning on doing that uh, as a career. I was going to do biomedical engineering um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, help people, all that. Um, okay. And then I was had a conversation with my dad uh, sophomore year of college uh, in the fall and he was just sort of like, you know, so w- what are your plans this summer? And uh, I was like, well, uh, I don't know. You know, it's the fall. I hadn't really thought about it. He was like, yeah, you know, I just want to give you the heads up. You know, if you think that you're going to come home this summer and, you know, not get a job and just putter around, like, that's not happening. Just thought I'd give you plenty of time. And I was like, okay, all right, I appreciate the heads up. And so it was a question of what I wanted to do for a summer. Um, and I figured I'd get an internship, but it was felt it was a little bit early to get an internship doing something I wanted to do with my career or something that might turn into a full-time job. I thought, you know, what could I do that's fun for a summer? Um, and I ended up applying to a lot of video game uh, companies. And I sort of did the usual college person college engineer thing of, uh, you know, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, those types of things. Um, but I applied to a bunch of, uh, video game developers and I ended up, uh, talking to, um, John Bajorquez at Activision. Um, it's a great guy. Love that guy. And, um, he gave me my first job. He was, I think mostly interested because I had done some porting of Quake to the pocket PC um, wow, my my and, uh, uh, my Amiga can run Quake. It shouldn't. But yeah, it can. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, don't know if you know. remember these pocket PCs, though. I do. These, uh, yeah, they're like the Windows CE. Oh, yes. Palm Pilots. I remember those. They were big silver things in the Dreamcast gray. days. Yeah. Yes, that's right. It had it, where Windows you, CE was all the rage. It was on the front. It was stapled on the front of the Dreamcast. As if it was a <laughs> thing to boast about. It was very strange. <laughs> 
Right. They should have been putting it as under the hood as possible. Yes. They were very proud of that. Yes. Windows CE. Yes. Powered by Windows CE. So, um, yeah, I, of course, had the world's worst uh, Pocket PC. So it had, like, the processor that no one supported for anything. Um, and so they, the Pocket Quake project had already existed, but I had done some work to get it running on those sort of lower-end wow. um, processors because um, I was curious how it would run. The answer is not well. No. Uh, but, you know, I did it. And so uh, Call of Duty is, of course uh, – completely based off of the Quake 3 engine. Um, and so having a an intern that actually had some knowledge of Quake, I think, is somewhat uh, uncommon. Mm. Um, so they were interested in that, and that was cool. They were out in Los Angeles, and I was from New York originally. Uh, so I figured, you know, nice weather, fun <clears throat> summer, working on games, let's do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was no chance after that summer that I was doing anything else. Um, I just had such a blast and uh, worked with really, really talented people, um, learned a great deal. Um, and this was right about the time I was working on World at War. So this was right about the time that Modern Warfare uh, was just about to release. It was going to be a thing. Oh, was that period? Um, and so it was um, very, very exciting. Because yeah. I used to play the original original Call of Duty. People get confused about this when I say that. The first one. Yes, the very they first think one. of Modern Warfare now they when do. you say Call of Duty. Well, but, they said, no, the first yeah. one. What do you mean? The first... Oh. Um, so, yeah, I used to be in a clan and everything. Great. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I... I played a lot of Unreal Tournament back in the oh, day. Yeah. I was a big yeah. UT guy, Instagib. Insta oh, that's a fantastic game. Even the most mm -hmm. inept players could have fun with that mode. That's what I like. It's it. just like the the purest sort of like I'm gonna point and click on people and they're gonna yeah. die and we're gonna see who does that best. Yes, I love that. That was it. Just no thought. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just just like bounce pads and 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 skill shots. Yeah. That's it. And uh, there's also Fat Boy. That was a great mode as well. Person with the yeah. most shots become fat and everyone else becomes thin. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> awesome <laughs> <laughs> okay so activision then so you had an internship yeah there. did you stay there did you not graduate then yes yeah, so so i did uh they, they asked me actually not to they asked me to, to transfer um and to stay in la um go to ucla or something like that um but uh, i said no i wanted to finish up uh school but uh i did i went back there for a second summer um and then i ended up working there for for 10 years um wow. and it was awesome. Um, and, and one of the reasons I left, frankly, was just because, you know, I worked on Call of Duty World at War and then Black Ops 1, 2, 3. And I just – I started when I was 20 there and I realized if I didn't leave, I would just be doing just Call of Duty until I was 30. And I, I just had a had a problem with that. You, I wanted to do something else. You had an so. epiphany and realized that – Yeah, it was just, yeah. you know, like if I don't – you know, I can always sort of do the, the, the AAA engineer career for life thing, mm. hopefully – um, but you know, if I ever wanted to, if I ever wanted to try making something independently, which had always been sort of a passion of mine, um, and been curious to see, you know, how far I could go with that, then, you know, I got to do it before I had too many commitments, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not married. I don't have kids, so I got to do it quick. Do it now before, before, all that happens. before that happens, which is probably imminent. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, and that's fine and that's great. And, uh, I applaud you for it. And yeah, I mean, those, those games are really you know, everyone knows them. Uh, I always bought them every year and still do, actually, because I like the single player. Sorry, everyone. Uh, yeah. But I just like, you know, sometimes I don't have to sit there playing, I don't know, Stellaris for seven hours. Again, stop doing that, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I really should stop doing that. Oh, I'll play an hour for... No, no. Um, and, you know, there's times when it's just good to go around shooting people in the face. 
Um, yeah. And uh, if you can. Uh, and also the last, the last one had VR, which I had on my PS. Well, I have on my PlayStation, which is really fun. Uh, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get a nausea thing. I've never had suffered from the nausea thing on video games. It doesn't happen, thankfully. I'm, oh, I'm lucky like I that. Do, unfortunately, yeah, I, don't, I know a lot of people with Half Life, Half Life, and Half Life yeah. Two was pretty yeah. bad for that. I'm sure you know, as a person very close to that technology, knows exactly why it's happening. Uh, but it's, well, you know, I think also a lot of people uh, on the console side, once they move to the uh, this whole dual joystick thing, yeah. Um, I think a lot of people fell off, right? Like I know a lot of people who love video games growing up and also part of that is, you know, growing up, they have jobs, they're busy, but also part of it is that, you know, I watch someone that I used to play video games with and try, you know, try to do that now and they sort of oversteer and that's instant nausea, right? They like press up on the joystick and now they're looking at the sky and now they're like, oh, and now they, so then they oversteer down and now they're looking at the floor and they can't like, you know, people who can do it, I think, take for granted oh, that, you know, right, because, oh, yeah, I, can, yeah, I can look and move at the same time and well, for yeah. everyone else, when they, if you're not doing it uh, like natively and comfortably, it's really uh, oh, nauseating, I, I think, to, to try to because you're like fighting it right you know it's not doing what you expect and what you want and so your brain just sort of gets nauseous yeah i've been i've been circle strafing since where well golden i mean it's ridiculous mm-hmm. it's, it's like over 20 years like yeah you've been yeah. doing that for 20 years that's why you don't yeah. have a problem because right. to you it's just like breathing you have 20 years of practice it's, it's, yeah you're just you know, like when, yeah this is like when you pick up a controller you, your hands immediately settle into that well yeah of course you put your thumb there yeah. why wouldn't you because you right, you're like it. so. This one looks and this one aims, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, you can see it. I was I was playing a game at an expo a couple of weeks ago. It's like it's it was like a, a, a wipeout clone. It's not wipeout. It's made by the same people who make wipeout. I immediately settled in and started driving, and then flying up the track. And the developer looked at me and he goes, "You played this before, haven't you?" <laughs> I said, "No." <laughs> it's like, "No, you played games like this before, haven't you?" It's because I was breaking around the corners and sliding around like. Well, yeah, that's how you play these games. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's like, that's just how it's <laughs> that's done. That's how it's done. What, why, how else? I mean, it's like when you play Mario, you always skid around a corner because that's how it's done. How else, that's right. That's how, we, how you play. How are you going to boost? It goes back to the whole playing properly thing that we were talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. This is how you play it properly. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. It's <laughs> weird to have a bunch of skills about, like, driving imaginary things, but we we all have that. We all have that. Like, yeah, yeah, I know how to drive that imaginary flying vehicle. Doesn't everyone? Yeah. How, how else does this work? <laughs> <laughs> so how else would you drive it exactly Ridiculous. <laughs> well what are you thinking you know um and yeah when you can try to explain you know even i love trying to explain mmos to non-gamers it's so funny it's hard it's really hard it's even funny when it's you... hard it's hard to say anything that doesn't elicit the reaction of why would i want to do that <laughs> and then when you show them a video of a raid like well this is happening I'm sorry, I have no idea what's going on. No, yeah, nor did they. Like a bunch of flashing and, and <laughs> it's, effects. It's just loads of explosions, bad animations, and loads of numbers. Yeah. And, and numbers yeah, flying loads out. of numbers flying and out. This, and this is fun, they say? <laughs> well, it's a thing. I didn't say it's fun. <laughs> it's a thing, people do. And how many hours at a time? Four, Lots. Four, Lots. maybe, four or five. On a, on a four, good, on a good four day. for a light raid. Yeah, for a light raid, yeah. <laughs> but all these things, you and I are laughing and joking, and we're going to talk about this yeah. later with this jam, but there's aspects of gaming that we now take for granted and enjoy, and I think there's a fascinating yeah. thing going on in video games right now, especially I went to, I went to Res a couple of weeks ago, and there was loads of video games there that just assumed, you know, you know what to do, I'm not going yeah. to tell you, pick up the controller, go on, off you go, 
What do you want? Right. Just, just do something. Okay, I moved the left thumbstick. Oh, look, something happened. Off you go. And it's this prior knowledge. Prior knowledge. Yeah, and, and, and I've you know. seen a trend also of newer games. There's a bunch of new games that have tutorials that are essentially making fun of the fact that everyone knows how to do these things. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Where you used to have all the tutorial, it's like, you know, okay, please look up at the light, look down at the light, yeah. okay, you know how to look up and down. And now it's like, what do you think, I'm going to tell you how to look up and down? <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's funny now because the tutorials are so, you know, self-referential and, yeah. and you know, so we're just, we're getting really deep into it now as a culture. Yeah, and I think it can only benefit from it, but we can only go so far um you know i don't think anyone's going to be able to really do turn-based J- jrpgs with that kind of <laughs> kind of like oh you know what to do no you know what this is i know what it is but honestly how are you doing it oh right okay well <laughs> yeah. don't worry about what these acronyms and meters mean yeah, you'll yeah. figure it what's out what's that flashing thing don't worry about that you're fine don't worry about it. <laughs> it seems yeah. important you'll figure that out in about in 100 hours in 100 then. hours you realize it. you should have been using that all along <laughs> Yeah, you realize how easy the game was if you had understood it. If you'd done that, you'd have spent not 100 <laughs> hours, but 10 finishing this game. Yeah, pretty much. They're the worst. Anyway, so I think we covered how you made your start. Like your faltering steps. Yeah. Everything from faltering steps and typing basic programming badly, because <laughs> mm-hmm. you didn't know any better, to uh, working in AAA, if want of a better phrase. I don't know that phrase. But major sort of... Um, sort of prime time, if you will, um, titles to now indie development on on this jam, which is, is stunning. We're yeah. going to talk about that in depth. I'll keep on hinting that, but before we do, as a creator, sir, what do you find? What are you influenced by most? Oh, yeah, um, it's a it's evolved uh, quite dramatically i think throughout the years you know i think when i was first starting um i was really really influenced by every game that was coming out and really pushing these technological boundaries um you know as an as an engineer i was just really interested you know in the in the star foxes and the donkey kong countries and their you know and their super effects chips and looking at what they were doing there and then looking at you know uh like looking at the evolution of that doom and quake and especially the networking technology, the way that quake and quake two and quake three evolved in that way. Um, I think, you know, the, the whole experience I had, um, growing up when I was, uh, I think the first multiplayer, like, you know, networked game that I played was probably uh, the first Warcraft, you know, and I had a friend, uh, whose dad, um, was like the administrator for the computers in the school district. So he was like plugged into this stuff. There's there's always uh, no one guy, don't we? There's one. There's always one there's always guy. One there's guy. like the guy. Sadly, it's a guy, guy most of the time. Sorry, ladies. It is. That is unfortunate. But <laughs> yeah. But there's always, you know, that guy, yeah. and uh, yeah. he he knows. He had the key. He's got the to stuff. the magic He's stuff, which no one else had any interest in except you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, oh, finally, someone else. <laughs> there is someone else that cares about this yes. stuff. That's how you feel when you find that person. You're like, oh my god. Yes. Okay, I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now with the internet, it's a lot easier, you know, the other people care. Yes. But back then, yeah. it was like, you know, oh, my God, there's someone else who cares about this. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we would um, – his son was my age, and so we would dial in to each other, you know. And that was in the age I was like, Mom, don't pick up the phone. That's his modem calling my modem. Trying to explain that was like, you know, stop picking up the phone. <laughs> and it's, especially in Warcraft, that game, the games are, matches are like 40 minutes. So it's like – it's the most infuriating feeling in the world when you're 30 minutes into a Warcraft match and someone picks up the phone yeah. on the modem that you're using. Yeah. 
and it's like the game's just over. Yeah. Like there's no saving. Yeah. It's it's done. What's that squealing that sound? It's not it's, a fax, yeah. mom. Put it down. It's yeah. It's right up there with you know when you leave the NES on for like 24 hours to like because you're you're trying to beat this game and then someone kicks the controller and unplugs it. You know because it's a, it's right up there. Yeah. It's a similar feeling. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, I remember some Spectrum <laughs> games. I don't want. Oh God, why are you bringing back these memories? Sorry, Jeez. sorry. At least we could save PTSD. the game on the Specky because they had, you know, well, unless it was an arcade game, then you're right. You had to. I remember just carry on playing Bruce Lee on on on. on to we we had to finish this. Like now, I can do it in less than an hour, but at the time, <laughs> the way that I used to leave consoles on, like no, I can't no, ever turn this off. The mere thought of it doing now, like especially the the, the if you got one now, like oh yeah, I leave a and there's on for for an hour. What are you doing? <laughs> it can't do it can't cope it'll explode probably will yeah. but anyway yeah yeah it's um yeah so sorry no no you're, a, you're that saying you're influenced tangent. by by other people's uh, ingenuity other people's understanding yes. and, and so yeah. and so all of that stuff was super exciting mm. um and that's what really got me interested in multiplayer development and then i think over the years um certainly being part of the triple a industry um you really see games differently i think um you you just start to appreciate all of the minutiae um that goes into it and and it's a lot of things that's um one of the biggest things that we struggle with i think actually in terms of um um discussing things in the in the community and user facing stuff um is that i find like this is the this is the place where the biggest disconnect is um and and obviously uh interfacing with the community is all completely new to us. Um, so we're learning a lot there, but I think, um, that's where the biggest disconnect is, is, is there's, um, a lack of understanding as to really what goes into all of the nuance of all these different features across all these different games. Um, and like those big tech checkpoints are like really exciting and interesting. Um, but i now appreciate these games that are just have the whole package and are just doing it right. Um, a lot more than I ever used to, um, you know, before I think, I, you know, I would, lo- I would love to play the sort of buggy garbage game that was doing something that little bit exciting from a tech point of view, though. Like that was my jam. I was like, oh, this doesn't work at all. <laughs> but like when it does, look how cool that yeah, is. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, you know, when I when I see games like um, like Overwatch, right, and games like Rocket League, where it's just like they have executed on a level of polish across the board that is just impressive. And it's, um, I now appreciate it both because I've attempted to do this type of work, but also because, um, the level of difficulty of working with a a larger team to accomplish these things is also quite, uh, difficult. And so when it works and you can see it reflected in the product, it's, uh, you can't help but admire that. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, Blizzard know what they're doing. It's got to be said. Uh, yeah, and well, you kind of work with them ish. No, no, there's no, there's no, there's no crossover. I know that, but uh, yeah. they were a part of the same company. I think. I know it doesn't work in with that either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, because that's what you were called. Uh, well, you see, your former employer, but it's not really what it meant. Um, so I may be wrong about that, but I just get the impression there's a Chinese wall between them, for want of a better word. Um, and uh, but yeah, Blizzard do know what they're doing. Even though that, that that material they're using, I believe, is based on a now abandoned MMO they worked on for seven years. 
<laughs> right. Well, that's that's a good example of it not working so hard, yeah. right? Yeah. And and this is sort of and this is sort of the, what I often say to people about working on a bigger project, which is that you know, it's it's incredibly difficult, if only because look, everyone that works in the industry is there because they genuinely like video games and they appreciate video games and they play video games themselves. Mm. Almost everyone, yeah. and and so it's hard to not have strong opinions, right? Every every gamer has strong opinions about how a certain game should be or how it should play or how it should look. And so, you know, sure you have a design department, sure you have your animators and your artists and your engineers. And, but at the same time, everyone has their own opinion. And so when you have a team of like 200 people, um, you know, it, it, it's difficult to not just have it all boil down at the end of the day to what 200 people don't vehemently disagree on, which is, you know, whatever 200 people don't find objectionable, which is really not the same thing as like a really strong artistic vision. Right. Um, And so when you see it work and it seems like it really came together, you know, that's super impressive. Um, And it's certainly uh, not surprising when it doesn't so well, because that's, it's just, you know, it's like herding cats. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That are blind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, completely blind. Yeah, yeah, it's just, and yeah, you're also blindfolded as well. So yeah, it's just we can add more complexities to this, everyone. By all means, have that game as well. It's great. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes it works and sometimes it really doesn't. And uh, you know, we can learn a lot from the mistakes. But I think a lot of people don't understand is you can learn a lot as well from successes. Uh, yes. Do you do hear that mantra? But well, you can learn from your mistakes. Hey, what about your victories? Huh? Right. Well, what about when we went right? Did you learn from something from that too? There's a pause. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> so. Well, what's interesting in the industry is every time there's a success, right? Every time you you have this game that just just nails yeah. it, it seems so obvious to everyone in hindsight. Yeah. First of all, it's like you see all of the Gama Sutra articles spring up of like, well, here's why yeah. it was successful, <laughs> right? But but they never mention the ten other failures that did the exact same thing no, and no. don't discuss why those didn't work, yeah. right? Um, so it's like, sure, the 2020 hindsight of like this successful thing, there's a lot of things you can pull yeah. out uh, for everyone it's, about why is why is it, it is successful. it is frustrating. But like, yeah, it, it is if if any of those articles were right, right? Like if mm. any of those articles were like, oh, that's clearly why it was successful and this is why it worked, then yeah. we'd all be doing it. Yep. So, why aren't if, you? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what? Yeah. It's so obvious. Yeah. Uh, games. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I'm going to call it artistic media, regardless of whether if it's literature or, or, or films, for all entertainment, all, all entertainment, or literature, or fiction, or whatever you want to call it, entertainment or something. It uh, it all falls into that same thing. Yeah. So, next question then. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Ooh, it's a really good question. Um, I understand a lot of people say, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. That's <laughs> but, you know, it's basically your opportunity. I don't care to... about hurting people's feelings. That's okay. That's okay. Um, um, it's your opportunity no, to you shout know, out to people there, that you there's, know. There's, there are a lot, actually. I think um, I really admire uh, Blizzard, as I said. Um you know, I, I think that they they've had their 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 hits and misses, but I think you know, uh, particularly um, Overwatch is great, but as you say, it sort of came out of a, a lot of failure. Which there's nothing wrong with that; it's fantastic. Um, the Hearthstone team, I think, did a fantastic job. Um, that's something that uh, I really admire in terms of um, both both Activision, like corporate 
and um, Blizzard for like letting that happen, right? It's not it's not all that common that you let a giant mega hit studio take a small team, build something cool, and put it out there. Yeah, um, and they and they trumpeted it. I remember when they revealed it. At, I think it was a PAX. Wes, they said, look, we're making a new game. And everyone was going crazy. What could it be? What? It be? what? It's yeah, a, a card game? game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a card game. But look at it. Yeah. Isn't it pretty? And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, it is quite pretty. Oh, look, oh, look, 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 it smashes him in the face. Oh, and it is is a very, very good card game. I'd, I never got into it because it's a CCG and yeah, I bristle at CCGs. It's not for everyone. No. It's not for everyone, for sure. Um, I think, you know, for, for, um, a lot of people who I think also, I mean, it it obviously spans quite a big, um, uh, spectrum of people, but for me, at least, you know, I grew up playing a lot of magic, the gathering, uh, things like that. And, um, you know, that's sort of at a scope for me these days, um, in terms of what I have time for, I don't have time for almost anything. Um, and so, you know, there's something very cool about just kind of taking that experience and that fun of it and just condensing it down to something that like, you know, you can play when you're walking your dog or whatever. Um, and, and I, and I think that it would be, it would be less, uh, novel if, if it hadn't been done by, by Blizzard, but because they were able to take, you know, that sort of level of, of, uh, execution and resources, um, and put it on something like that. I just think that's pretty cool. And I wish that more big studios uh, would go that route. You know, yeah. I think that, for example, like I probably would have stayed within Treyarch and Activision if they were if if there was more of that, right? Like if I yeah. could say, okay, well, that would have probably like it wouldn't have been exactly what I wanted, but it would have scratched that itch for me. Um, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I think that um, when you do that within big companies, typically when that when that does happen, you see a lot of great things come out of it. Um, certainly in the early days of, of Google, there was a lot of that as well um, outside the game space. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, I really admire um, Psyonix as well. Um, you know, we were already sort of on development, uh, in development of Disc Jam um, when Rocket League came out. Um, and it really validated a lot of our a lot of our questions about the market um for that type of game and stuff like that um and again it's just you know it's it's probably like game of the year for me two years running in terms of just execution simplicity and like everything i'm looking for in a game um and as well as the fact that it was made by a pretty small team um over the course of you know a fairly long time if you include their their previous release of supersonic acrobatic rocket powered battle cars but um uh fantastic you know um yeah it's just uh, when you write that down on paper like we've got this game where you're driving two rocket powered cars and there's a giant steel ball in the middle of the pitch please leave the room no no seriously <laughs> no, this is a very bad idea go <laughs> well <laughs> i mean it makes a lot of sense that it sort of started out as a, like a mini game for their like sort of twisted metal-esque game yeah right like because yeah. that's what it sounds like you know if yeah. you if you walk into a pitch and you're like look Got this pitch. It's soccer with radio-powered cars, yep. you know, or you know, whatever that is. Yep. And you're going to say, well, that sounds like a cool mini game for your real game, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but but I think I, I, I think that's the cool thing about what's happening with games right now is that you could say, you don't get it. We're going to do it, and you'll see, right? Yeah. And like, And you can just do it full on, do the full level of polish on that and say, no, no, this is the main game. This is what it is. 
And like, we'll see. And, you know, they put their money where their mouths are and they double down on, on the idea and it really, you know, paid off for them. And I think that like, that is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Can, I mean, great uh, pairing there. Well, well done. Any, any more before we move on to the last question of the first half? Oh, I'm sure there's, you know, a million. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this question I have to legally ask you, of you because sure. we're a podcast about video games. Therefore, this is what I have to ask. What are you playing right now? Um, pretty much nothing um, because we are like spending every waking hour on um, just jam updates. Um, I got a huge list of things I'd like to play. Okay, um, we'll talk about that. Actually, although I, I can say I did just play um, a good amount of uh, Thimbleweed Park. Oh, yes. And um, I'm a big adventure game guy. Played all the LucasArts games back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the Sierra Online games, all that stuff. I don't know. It's just something that like I find very uh, satisfying and relaxing um, to do. And I always enjoy the writing. And so I had kick-started that. Um, and so when I got the email, I couldn't resist checking it out. Um, so I really enjoyed that. That was really fun. Yeah, there's a chap who's um, started doing something quite amusing. He's taken popular culture images or scenes from films or TV and uh, turned them into a still of a point-and-click adventure. Oh, really? <laughs> it's really funny. That's I have awesome. to drag his name out. But I, I found a, a – he, he sort of released a book of these things. And he like he's got the uh, scene from Firefly, like – Yep, that's that's Firefly, <laughs> and it's like he's you know it's Jay, it's it's Mal being sort of conned out of something like yep that's that's Firefly and it's really cool you can actually use your phone and scan the images and some of them actually animated on the phone it's very cool <laughs> uh, but yeah brilliant work of genius like just you know you know um, Breaking Bad when he's out in the desert and trying to start the engine again with the the the, the batteries and stuff that's all yeah. he did a still on that like that's perfect. <laughs> It's awesome. perfect scene. Like you got this, yeah. you got this, you got this. You're going to combine them all together <laughs> and that's make so a battery. Good. So yeah, that's 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 great. Okay. Yeah, I'm um, excited for the uh, the full throttle re-release because I was yes, a big game. That, Played that like a hundred times back in the day. So it's amazing. It's a it's set in a weird world. It's so strange. And Very, like, but that's yeah. that's for for whatever reason. Like like. Day of the Tentacle, for example, I've played through that a couple times, um, and I think it's you know I, I think I'd even say that it's a better game, right? But I just don't like it as much as Full Throttle for some reason. Full Throttle yeah. is just like I just more like, fun. I like the world. It's broken. Yeah, like I could just play it ten times and not get bored of it. I don't know. It's yeah, just fun. I mean, this is it's not a near future world, isn't it? It's like this. What's going on? Why? Why have they got anti grav? Yeah. Why have they? Why are these? Oh, this is weird. Like it's, it's actually set in the future. No one really talks about it. Like, no, it is. It's actually this weird future thing. But uh, anyway, so it's fun though. It's fun. It's a good game. I'm glad they're doing a remaster because it deserves it. Not all of those games do. Like I don't yeah. know the dig. Uh- <laughs> uh, yeah. I played, played through the dig again actually a few years ago. I enjoyed it. It's um, yeah. It's a bit uh, weird I'm, to saw your arm I'm, off. It's a bit weird. I'm, yeah, I'm a I'm a sci-fi fan, so it's like I I just like I want it to be good. Yeah, I know but, I do. Yeah. yeah, it's like watching the um, first episode of Star Wars again. Please be good. No, it never will be. Yeah, 
Right. Never it's like, be. oh, maybe it'll be better this time. No. Yeah. No, it's actually no. worse now, isn't it? Yeah. It's actually worse. Giant, actually, I'm dying to play Mass Effect Andromeda, though. Me too. Um, and me too. Horizon Zero Dawn as well. Um, yeah, I started I that, but I got distracted by Zelda, which is a reasonable thing to be distracted yeah, by. Yeah, also really looking forward to that. But I'm waiting I'm waiting for a, for a Switch. I don't own one yet. No, um, they are lovely little machines. You could play it on the Wii U, but yeah. I refuse. <laughs> Right. Well, that's the end of the first half then. Um, good list of uh, list of shame there. Uh, pile of shame. Although a developer once once said um, he on this show he said it's not a pile of shame. It's your investment in the video game community or the industry. That's right. right. Like, yes, but yes. It should be flattered that I that I own them and paid money, even exactly, though I haven't yes. played it. Because I've invested. Principle, they exactly. deserve the money. They do. They do. Even though you haven't. Idea. Yeah. So let's I'm move sure on. Yeah, let's move on to the second half. Would he? We move on to the second half where we move and delve deep into disc jam. What is Disc Jam? Disc Jam is uh, it's a mix of air hockey and tennis um, and sort of all those net-based sports, what have you, volleyball, badminton, however you want to uh, see it. But uh, you throw a disc back and forth, um, and the goal is to get it past your opponent into the end zone where the disc will explode and you'll be given points. Or if you lob it or for some other reason it lands on the court, that counts as well. Um, so, yeah. Yes. It's more like a gyroscope thing with a, a glowing ball of death in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, got a, we, have, a bunch of, well, we have a bunch of custom discs so that oh, you, can, right, okay. you can play with, with uh, a bunch of different things. And sort of whoever won the last point gets to use their custom disc is sort of how it works. So we got Retro Frisbee in there. We got... Um, we got little drone disc, um, you know, a bunch of different stuff. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, people are saying, oh, look, it's Windjammers. We have to mention Windjammers because if I yeah, did, it so, would be wrong. But it's not that at yeah, all, is it? Uh, no. So, well, it's so, it sort of is. You know, we basically describe it to people as Windjammers meets Mario Tennis meets NBA Jam. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't normally say that out the gate because a lot of people are like, I have no idea what that means. Um, no, but, but you can uh, on this show, don't you know, worry. I, so, <laughs> yeah, so you could start with the sort of general you know, marketing description of it. And then for, for gamers and developers who've been around, you can yeah. sort of describe it that way. You know? So um, yeah. it's, sort of, um, it's sort of that Mario Tennis viewpoint you know, it's this behind-the-back viewpoint. You got a net in the middle. Um, there's a lot of sort of Windjammer-style mechanics in there in terms of you know you can curve it, you can skip along the wall. There's um, the supers are like the most similar aspect of it. Um, you know, but the scoring is very different. I think the overall strategy of it um, is quite different. 
um, in terms of use the sort of optimal play styles of it. Um, and um, there's a bunch of you know new mechanics. Certainly, we have doubles. We have two v two play, um, which Windjammers certainly didn't have. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, so there's some there's some similarities for sure. I mean, there aren't a lot of character based frisbee games out there, um, but uh, ours is certainly one of them. I mean, I hope I hope there are more. I know there are a few actually um, in development at the moment. So I'd like to see more of a more of a genre. Yeah, I mean they're remaking Opa. Windjammers, aren't they? I mean they're just you know reporting. Uh, yeah, they're doing it, yeah. A, like a retro re-release with yeah. um, uh, online matchmaking and stuff like that, um, which is really cool. We're, I'm pretty excited for that. I'm actually excited to have it on my Vita. I like that it's coming to the Vita. That's like a good use case for it. Yeah, or well, indeed the uh, Switch. We'll give them just as well. It should be awesome for it. Yeah. Um, so. Let's that out of the way, because I wanted to say that, because I, I think it does a disservice, like, oh, it's just like Windjammers. No, it's not, because Windjammers, as awesome as that game is, it was on 2D plane, and doesn't do half the things that you can do, or yeah, yeah, sort of and, things and, on this jam, so. The, there's a huge community of Windjammers players in France, who yes. call themselves Windjammers France, yeah. um, and... Um, you know, they got onto the game pretty early uh, when we were doing our PC pre-alphas, and they've been hugely supportive, and their feedback's been super helpful. Um, you know, and I think the general consensus over there is that, like, this is a really cool game. It's not Windjammers, and that's a good thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, like, we're not trying to do, like, Windjammers 2. No. So my first design question, then. This yeah. is based on my experience of both watching it and playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, players are rewarded for fast reactions. I think. Absolutely. How do you think this balances against those who prefer to position a disc for the other player to try and reach for? So um, it's interesting. So that's it. That's a, you hit the nail on the head in terms of exactly where the design conversation is for us um, when we're building it competitively and trying to figure out look where do you put the skill, right? Yeah. Um, and that was a big conversation for us early in um, for two reasons. One is obviously we, we want this game to be very competitive. Um, we uh, um, both, just to give some context, um, I already said I worked for Activision, but Tim uh, also did as well. We both worked there for 10 years, um, but we didn't actually meet up until uh, Black Ops 2. Um, but um, the, so we're both, you know, online gameplay engineers. Um, that's what we did for our careers. And, um, so we've we did a bunch of the esports stuff. Um, I've spoken to a bunch of esports guys in general, and so you know we're keenly aware that what they really want out of competitive games is as much symmetry as possible. Obviously, no rubber banding, but no randomness of any kind, right? And you just want it all to come down to just pure skill, and that makes a lot of sense. But um, you know there are a lot of mechanics that maybe you might want to go for that just don't make good sense if you want it to be competitive in that way. Um, so. We were keenly aware of that ahead of time, and so we, we knew we wanted it to be very competitive. Um, but on the on the other half of it, it, it's a question of where do you put the actual skill and what do you want to reward? And so um, the problem that we had was uh, it's already a really fast game, like you said, um, which is part of the reason it's a great test for our networking that we were creating. Mm-hmm. Um, and because um, the, you know, the disc, the flight time of the disc is probably – on the order of your your ping, um, it's very fast, so it's a is challenging, and um, the the problem is that if you if you just go if you like double down on that and you say okay it's all about just like fast reaction time, um, I think there's also 
uh, not only are there networking considerations with that um, in terms of always making that uh, feel good and work under all situations, but um, there's also just a, a ceiling issue. You know, the game's pretty simple. It's got one stick, four buttons. Um, and so our primary challenge was, okay, the accessibility point is going to be there because how hard is it to, you know, move your character around with a stick and press a couple buttons, but how do we get the skill ceiling as high as, as we can? Um, and so what we decided to do was, uh, open up the court a little bit. We had started with a, a bit of a small court, um, and we, we opened it up and we really decided to make the strategy more about your shot selection and your shot placement and, uh, where, uh, you know, essentially thinking one or two throws ahead a little bit more like tennis than say, you know, uh, squash or, um, you know, even wind jammers, right? I think wind, even wind jammers, you're sort of, no, that's good. I was gonna, yeah. it feels like sort of a penalty kick shootout sometimes, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's not going to dive left or dive right. And it's about fast reactions. And so, yeah. um, that, that was really what we were going for. We said, you know what? It's already super fast. We don't need to double down on that. Let's try to make it so that it's all about your shot selection. And so to that end, actually, again, um, to because of the uh, the camera angle as well, um, and uh, and the fact that you know the thing's moving fast, you're at sort of an interesting camera angle. Um, there's a lot of uh, defensive assist options in the game. So um, the slide, for example. Uh, is your best defensive move. You sort of hold down the button, and the longer you hold it, the longer you slide. Yeah, um, yeah. And the penalty for that is then you can't throw a perfectly timed throw afterwards. Um, but what it does under the hood is actually a lot of um, trajectory prediction and sort of uh, a li- gives you a really wide range of input you can press that'll mm-hmm. actually still allow you to slide and catch the disc. Because um, our philosophy was sort of like, look, con- controller sticks, right? And this is something also a lot of people don't don't sort of realize about um all the modern controllers which is like <clears throat> they all have different dead zones even on the same controller right the more that you use it that dead zone sort of opens up yeah um and it's also really difficult to be precise i mean even the best pro gamers in the world like you can only be so precise with it because mm-hmm. it's got a precision um and uh you know you're just you're not always doing what you think you're doing and so uh we always try to allow the game to uh, let you do what you're intending rather than what you're actually literally pressing. Um, and so with the slides, you get a lot of movement assist. Um, there's a bunch of movement assist with the catches as well just by walking around. Um, and so we're trying to make it much much less about the defensive reaction times, which are good, but more about your offensive shot selection. And the way you win a point, if the other player is playing optimally, should be to throw such a throw that they are off balance and then you can capitalize by winning the point. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that's a great explanation of how you were balancing was trying to draw out of you is really the, the, there's a different in pacing uh, of the game and yes, it's very, very fast, but you can actually slow it down very easily by actually catching it and go, okay, I'm going to drop it or lob it over the net or the centre. Like, no! And you've got people running into the, the... Because I found a lot of players are pushed back and back and back, and it's very easy to go, oh, you're way back there? Here we go. Plop! And drop shot. <laughs> yep. It's like, no, don't do that. So, well, I can't not do it. <laughs> you know, and it's just like they've been having this amazing rally, and you build up loads of points, and then like, okay, I'm just going to drop it down here. But that's such a cheap shot. So, but it's legal. <laughs> yeah. And you should yeah. be prepared and- for that. <laughs> 
And positioning is just the number one skill. Like when we yeah. see, when we look in our subreddit and we see, you know, people will post videos and say, "What am I doing wrong?" Yeah. Um, and that's the number one thing is not sort of centering back up. You have to uh, after that yeah. point, you know, and it's tuned so that there's a sort of center dot that you're standing on, and it's tuned so that you know all throws are gettable if you're if you're there, if you're there. and you're reacting appropriately. There. Yeah. Um, and if you're not, then then it's on your opponent to capitalize on that yeah. misstep, yeah. Uh, as well as there's also the juiced mechanic. Uh, which is you th- you throw three perfect throws in a row, you get juiced up, and if you keep that streak going, all your throws are faster. That's the only exception to that rule is when you're juiced, you can throw things that you can't get even if you're if you're uh, in that spot in that dot. And so it's sort of on your opponent to to keep that from happening. I want to ask about power shots now, the ones that yeah. turn the disc on fire. Um, I understand that you basically you deflect the shots, uh, you time it with a little shield, and then it gets charged up and charged up and charged up to the point where you can then unleash an explosive, uh, unstoppable disc of death. Yeah. Um, how yeah. did that come about? So um, you know the, that super mechanic is is very reminiscent of Windjammers. That's one of the things that um, we actually really liked about Windjammers. Um, and that we thought was like a really fun trade-off. Um, it, ours, however, works a bit differently um, because you don't um, – in Windjammers, first of all, you can't move with the disc. No. Um, and it's, it's classic the, um, it's fris- Frisbee, like ultimate Frisbee, isn't it? In, yeah, in it's that, like yeah. ultimate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and if you um, – and, and the whole goal is to, is to time your block – uh, just when you catch it, um, and so like just before you catch it, you you tap the button and it and it allows you to to charge up, um, and so that doesn't work super hot in our game for for a few reasons. One, obviously, that you're you can move with the disc, um, and um, and so what what we decided to do was sort of it goes to the design conversation we were just having in terms of what of what we're trying to incentivize. So mm, um, yeah. Yeah. What ours does is that you can hold down the shield. You can you, you can have the shield out whenever you want, mm. um, and you hold down the button, and it brings out um, and it brings out this like energy shield. Yeah. And uh, the longer that you hold it, the more it charges up. And if you charge it up fully, then when the disc hits the shield, you get you can charge up for a super. Um, and so the trick though is that when you when you hold the shield out your character decelerates and slows down dramatically. So you can't just run around with the shield out. And so what it forces you to do is read where the other player is going to throw it, be there ahead of time, and then capitalize on that yeah. by by charging up your shield. Um, and so the um, it also has other uses, which is kind of fun and cool, which is like you can be at the net and open up your shield and uh, stuff it back onto their side of the court. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. Of, like, it out, I, I've, like that. I've managed so to pull just, that off infrequently, but when you do pull it off, it's like... It's really, really satisfying. It is. It is deeply like, that's a bit unfair. Like, I could be bothered. Yeah. I, I didn't want to catch it. I just wanted like, you know, <laughs> I just want to push it back yeah. to you because, you know, Oop. you started it. <laughs> yeah, that's how it feels. It's like, well, you started it. Speaking of um, um, that kind of exchange of players, um, I believe, and I may be wrong in this, but from, from my play of it and watching it, there seems to be an underlying design philosophy, and I don't want to use that word, but, you know, sort of intent, that's a better word, that has been, this this game has been designed for people to watch play as much as play it as well. 
if that is true, how much does that impact on the game design itself? Um, it, I don't know that it's so much designed for people to watch as much as um, the... So I, I, there's a few things, right? I mean, like, so we get a lot of questions about top-down view, for example. Mm. Um, some people yeah. would really like to see top-down in the game. I, yeah. um, I don't think it would work. But, and, yeah. yeah, well, that, it doesn't is no. the short answer. I mean, we looked at it, it doesn't. Um, but, you know, and, that, and but that is for a lot of reasons, right? It's because of both uh, the court size is very different in our no, game. No, there's, ver- um, there's verticality. There's very important verticalities. Right, yeah. there, right. There's a lot of verticality, yeah. which, which and, and actually we plan to have uh, more, which we, we don't actually have in the game, but maybe we will uh, at some point. But, um, you know, there's... There's there's a lot of that plus um, just the the art style, it just doesn't read. It's kind of muddy if you look at that from the top down. Yeah, you know you yeah. have to actually author your art very specifically if you want that to look good. Um, and 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 part of that is true. At the end of the day, you know we want we want it to be more like a tennis match, more like you're looking at that and um, and you've got sort of a lot of the info as well as in the world. Like I, I really love that we don't have any on screen UI. Um, during the game, like no, there's no you don't HUD. do you? It'll, it's yeah. all on the bloody. I mean, I was about to say no. You got the score. No, the scores on the. <laughs> yes, the <laughs> on scores the in the board. back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then you've got the number of points you're going to earn in the center of the Indeed, net. And so yeah. I, yeah. I love that everything's in the world. It means that you can do fun things as well. Like you know, you got your. Uh, when you're playing 2v2 and you're playing you and a buddy on the couch against other people online, you know, you don't need to do split screen or anything because you're just on the same side. You're using the same camera, yeah. all the stuff's in the world and you're good. Yeah. Um, so that's a really fun experience. And so, um, yeah, so I love like that. And that again, like that doesn't work super hot no. when, it, when you're at a different angle. Um, and so I think it, it I think it's coincidence yeah. that, that all of those same reasons we did that also make it great to watch. Um, and, um, well, we've got spectating in there as a, as a feature, and I think we'll be doing more uh, to have you know more interesting uh, casting features and things like that. But um, yeah, you know, I think when you see it, the game's also just it's a lot more exciting from that from that camera angle. You just you feel more engaged. I'm a big fan of like the uh, NFL Street and NBA Street type of games. Okay, um, they sort of had that same that same vibe and camera angle, which I really love. Um, so yeah, I mean, for the most part, uh, it is it's just as, as a lot of things in game dev, right? Just a lot of things coalesce to make it the the right choice for us. Yeah, I mean, it it makes most made perfect sense, and uh, I think it sounds like it was more accident than design. But I, did, I just felt like this game really is so much fun to watch. I mean, as it is to play, but there's some, you see some incredible rallies and like, oh, who's going to win this? You know, and you see as the rally goes on, which leads on to my next question, I noticed that rallies are actually rewarded by adding points. It charges almost this point meter in the middle of the room or the court that says, you keep this going, someone's going to win all of the points. Um, yeah. How did, why? And what does so- it exist? So there's um, the story behind that is originally uh, we had sort of point zones um, where you had you know three for the corners and five for the middle. Um, That's and, right. It's very similar to windjammers, I think. To, yeah. to windjammers, again. Um, and that was sort of just like the obvious lazy choice of like this has been done in the past, seemed to work. Why don't we tr- start here? Um, and um, 
it really doesn't work for Disc Jam, um, which again points to sort of the fact that it's a different game. Which is that it didn't work for Disc Jam mainly because um, because of the design that we were talking about, where it's all about your shot selection and you're aiming to get your opponent off balance. Yeah, that that is just fundamentally at odds with aiming to get points. Yeah, right. Like he's, it's like yeah. I can't add for aim for the five if I have to aim over here to get him off balance. Yeah, because so, he's already there. <laughs> so, right. Just, so you like yeah. can't do both, and the points are just sort of arbitrary. Like, okay, yeah. great, I got that, I guess. But like, really, I'm just going for the win. Um, and it also had the 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 weird thing of like like you said, like drop shots are a great way to win the point. Like they're at a position. This is how you win is you drop shot. Cause they're too far back. Um, and again, it just doesn't, it felt bad when you only get two points or something for that. Mm. Um, because it's just as valid a win. In fact, it's even more so cause it's tactical play. You, you slowed yeah, exactly. everything down. It's even more advanced because yeah. you recognize they're at a position and yeah. you correctly threw it. And and it's worth noting that a, a drop shot that you don't win the point on is super dangerous for you, right? Because then they're at the net oh, with yeah. the disc yeah, yeah. and it's, they can just put it away. The risk it's of the, the worst uh, it, it, it can, yeah, that, that, that tends into the ridiculous short passes, which are never, never good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so that, for all those reasons, right, just the points didn't make sense. They weren't matching up with the value you felt you should be getting for these various um, rallies. And, right. um, and then on top of that, we felt that like really long rallies were epic, but were just anticlimactic because who cared? You got two points at the end of it. Cause you drop shot at the guy. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But like, okay. Um, and so there were, there were a couple things we, we wanted to do to increase that intensity. One was that we, uh, every time the disc passes over the net, um, it increases in speed. So your perfect throw at, you know, throw number one is not as fast as your perfect throw at throw number 20. And, um, so the speed ramps up and that increases fairly dramatically, um, as you get higher into the rally. Um, and so at that same time, you know, winning a rally that's longer is actually more meaningful and harder um, and therefore more valuable okay. because you're playing at a, at, a, at a harder difficulty, essentially, because the disc is flying back and forth so quickly. Um, and so it allows us to then do rally scoring uh, where, you know, look, wherever, whether you put it in the end zone or you put it on the court, that's worth the same amount because it, that's what this jam is about. It's about winning the point, however you need to do it. Um, and then the but it, then it gets exciting because you've got all these points on the line. Uh, the disc is moving quickly. It's a more valuable point. You got these points on the line. Um, and so I think it just, it ramped up the tension in a really good way. Um, and I think that, you know, if the disc weren't increasing in speed, I think that that would maybe be, uh, you know, it would be unfair because you'd say, well, why am I getting 20 points for this? And then I just, you know, I just aced him and I only got 10 points or whatever. Yeah. Um, but because of that intensity ramp up, I think that that value actually makes sense. Um, and I think it is good for uh, both spectating and the, the players playing in terms of just, you know, making that intense as well as it's a, it's a way to actually get it so that, look, even if you're, you know, if you're 49-0, you're still not going to give up because that's that could be two points away. Yeah. If you have these long points, you know, so it's like there's something really demoralizing in a lot of these MP games of like you're so far behind. What's the point? I'm just going to quit out. You know, it's like it was a waste of my time to finish the game, yeah. and that's never the case in this jam, which I really like. That's the the catch up mechanic. This single catch up mechanic is genius because it's like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you you actually on the back foot. He's like forty seven points to your three, but you've got him now, haven't you? 
<laughs> because you're and, I, yeah. and, I, and, I, and i've seen that all the time right someone will get up to like we always call it the dreaded 49 because someone will get to 49 yeah. and then just lose the set, lose the set and it, yeah you know, and it is but, it is um controller tossing the experience sometimes no offense to yourself but no, other times i'm like really? all good games are i think <laughs> yeah the best games are the ones except when they're terrible bosses i'm looking at you kills yeah. three um but <laughs> um, sorry uh, but uh, other than that yeah yeah so, yeah i think it's a good way of sort of like it's it's the good bits about what you want from rubber banding without the anti-competitive bits, yeah it's right? not it's, totally it's valid it's, everyone's bought in well it's not really rubber banded because everyone's bought into the fact that both of both players can exploit the fact that if they keep a rally going that may yeah. be fun to watch and experience but ultimately someone's going to break it and yeah. Uh, yeah, whoever exactly. breaks it is going to win probably right. or get very close right. to winning but yeah well, Jade, that's been that's been fantastic chatting to you about uh, this jam. It's uh, you obviously have a great deal of passion and understanding about the game, and it's, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the interview. Yeah, absolutely. Hope you I got hope you got something out of it and uh, shared your thoughts. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you you enjoyed it. Um, it's out on PS4 as a beta, isn't it? Uh, no, it's out. It's fully oh, out. Right. Uh, um, Yes, it was it was just free on PlayStation Plus for the month of March. Oh, that's uh, right. Yes, as of Tuesday, it no longer is, um, and uh, it's available for uh, on Steam yeah. and on PlayStation Four. That's right, and uh, I've been playing on the PS4 because I like couch play. Although I can still couch play because I have a link box on my PC, so I like playing. Uh, I like playing really uh, weird indie games on my big massive television because, like, yes, this <laughs> is weird weird indie game on on TV. It's it's really good fun. I highly recommend it if you can do it. Um, so. Um, Jay, thank you very much for, for coming on. Uh, really appreciate yeah, it. You're more than well, welcome to come back. Maybe chat more about how maybe the year eighteen months down the line, the games evolved quite significantly, and uh, we can have a, a recap of what's what's changed, what's happened. But in the meantime, thank you very very much for being on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stablemate podcast should we say of spong.com bye bye